We've all gone to websites only to be presented with a pop-up asking if we'll accept the cookies. Well, did you know that by accepting those cookies, you're allowing that website to collect data on you? These websites will then sell your information to data brokers, who will then create a digital profile of you, which can be used by banks, advertisers, and scammers against you. Well, thanks to Incogni, you no longer need to worry about your data being stolen and sold. Incogni is a tool that will remove your data from these companies for you. All you need to do is sign up, allow Incogni to work for you, and they will contact data brokers on your behalf and guarantee that your digital ID is removed from the internet. Use the link in the description and episode notes and get Incogni today for $6.49 per month on a year plan and protect your data and digital ID. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers, and most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck Chapter 26 In the Weed Patch Camp, on an evening, when the long, barred clouds hung over the set sun and inflamed their edges, the Jode family lingered after their supper. Ma hesitated before she started to do the dishes. We got to do something, she said, and she pointed at Winfield. Look at him, she said, and when they stared at the little boy, he's a jerkin and a twistin in sleep. Look at his colour. The members of the family looked at the earth again in shame. Fried dough, Ma said. One month we've been here, and Tom had five days' work, and the rest of you scrabbling out every day and no work. And scared to talk. And the money gone. You're scared to talk it out. Every night you just eat, and then you get wandering away. Can't bear to talk it out. Well, you got to. Rosa Shawn ain't far from due, and look at her color. You gotta talk it out. Now don't none of you get up till we figure something out. One day's more grace, and two days flour, and ten potatoes. You sit here, get busy. They looked at the ground. Pa cleaned his thick nails with his pocket knife. Uncle John picked at a splinter on the box he sat on. Tom pinched his lower lip and pulled it away from his teeth. He released his lip and said softly, We've been a-looking, Ma. Been walking out since we can't use the gas no more. 
Been going every gate, walking up to air house, even when we know there wasn't going to be nothing. Puts a weight on you. Going out, looking for something you know you're not going to find. Ma said fiercely, You ain't got the right to get discouraged. This here family going under. You just ain't got the right. Pa inspected his scraped nail. We gotta go, he said. We didn't want to go. It's been nice here, and the folks is nice here. But we fear we'll have to go live in one of them Hoovervilles. Well, if we got to, we got to. First thing is, we got to eat. I'll broke in. I got a tank full of gas in the truck. Didn't let nobody get into that. Tom smiled. This here Al's got a lot of sense going along with his randy pandy. Now you figure, Ma said. I ain't watching this here family starve no more. One day more grace. That's what we got. Come time for Rosa Sean to lay in. She's got to be fed up. You figure. This here's hot water and toilets, Pop began. Well, we can't eat no toilets. Tom said, there was a fella come by today looking for a man to go to Marysville, picking fruit. Well, why don't we go to Marysville, Ma demanded. I don't know, said Tom. Didn't seem right somehow. He was so anxious. Wouldn't say how much the pay was. Said he didn't know exactly. Ma said, we're going to Marysville. I don't care what the pay is. We're going. It's too far, said Tom. We ain't got the money for gasoline. We couldn't get there. Ma, you said we got a figure. I ain't done nothing but figure this whole time. Uncle John said, Fella says there's a cotton picking coming up north near a place called Tulare. That ain't very far, the fella says. Well, we got to get going, and going quick. I ain't sitting here no longer, no matter how nice. Ma took up her bucket and walked towards the sanitary unit for hot water. Ma gets tough, Tom said. I've seen her getting mad quite a piece now. She just boils up. Pa said with relief. Well, she bring it into the open anyways. I've been laying at night, I burn my brains up. Now we can talk her out anyways. Ma came back with her bucket of steaming water. Well, she demanded, figure anything out? Just working her over, said Tom. Now, suppose we just move up north where that cotton's at. We've been over this country. We know there ain't nothing here. Suppose we pack up and shove north. Then, when the cotton's ready, we'll be there. I'd kind of like to get my hand around some cotton. You got a full tank, Al? Almost. About two inches down. Should get us up to that place. Ma poised a dish over the bucket. Well? She demanded. Tom said. You in. We'll, we'll move on, I guess. Huh, Pa? Guess we got to, Pa said. Ma glanced at him. When? Well, no need waiting. Might as well go in the morning. We got to go in the morning. I told you I left. Now, Ma, don't think I don't want to go. I ain't had a good gutful in two weeks. Of course I filled up, but I didn't take no good from it. Ma plunged the dish into the bucket. We'll go in the morning, she said. Pa sniffed. Seemed like times has changed, he said sarcastically. Time was when a man said what we do. Seems like women is telling now. Seems like it's pretty near time to get out a stick. Ma put the clean, dripping tin dish out on a box. She smiled down at her work. You get your stick, Pa, she said. Times when there's food and a place to sit, then maybe you can use your stick and keep your skin whole. But you ain't a doing your job, 
either thinking or working. If you was, why, you could use your stick, and women folks sniffle their noses and creep mess around. But you just get you a stick now, and you ain't licking no woman. You're fighting, because I got a stick laying out too. Pa grinned with embarrassment. Now, it ain't no good to have the little fellas here talking like that, he said. You get some bacon inside the little fellas before you come telling what's good for him, said Ma. Pa got up in disgust and moved away. Uncle John followed him. Ma's hands were busy in the water, but she watched them go, and she said proudly to Tom, He's all right. He ain't beat. His lack is not to take a smack at me. Tom laughed. You're just a treadin' on him. Sure, said Ma. Take a man. He can get worried and worried, and it eats out his liver, and pretty soon he'll just lay down and die with his heart head out. But if you can take it and make him mad, why, he'll be all right. Pa didn't say nothing, but he's mad now. He'll show me now. He's all right. Al got up. I'm going to walk down the row, he said. Better see the truck's ready to go, Tom warned him. She's ready. If she ain't, I'll turn Ma on you. She's ready. Al strolled jauntily along the row of tents. Tom sighed. I'm getting tired, Ma. How about making me mad? You got more sense, Tom. I don't need to make you mad. I got to lean on you. Them others, they're kind of strangers. All but you. You won't give up, Tom. The job fell on him. I don't like it he said. I want to go out like Al, and I want to get mad like Pa, and I want to get drunk like Uncle John. Ma shook her head. You can't, Tom. I know. I knowed from the time you was a little fella. You can't. There's some folks that just theirselves, and nothing more. There's Al. He's just a young fella after a girl. You wasn't never like that, Tom. Sure I was said Tom. Still am. No, you ain't. Everything you do is more than you. When they sent you up to prison, I knowed it. You're spoke for. Now, Ma, cut it out. It ain't true. It's all in your head. She stacked the knives and forks on top of the plates. Maybe. Maybe it's in my head. Rosa Sean, you wipe these here plates and put them away. The girl got breathlessly to her feet, and her swollen middle hung out in front of her. She moved sluggishly to the box and picked up a washed dish. Tom said, Getting so tactful it's pulling her eyes wide. Don't you go a jollyin', said Ma. She's doing good. You go along and say goodbye to anyone you want. Okay, he said. I'm gonna see how far it is up there. Ma said to the girl, He ain't saying stuff like that to make you feel bad. Where's Ruthie and Winfield? They snuck off after Pa. I seen them. Well, leave him go. Rudes of Sharon moved sluggishly about her work, and Ma suspected her cautiously. You feeling pretty good? Your cheek is kind of saggy. I ain't had milk like I ought. I know, we just didn't have no milk. Rose of Sharon said dully, If Connie hadn't went away, we'd had a little house by now with him studying and all. We would have got milk like I need. Would I had a nice baby. This here baby ain't gonna be no good. I'd have had milk. She reached into her apron pocket and put something into her mouth. Ma said, I seen you nibbling or something. 
What you eating? Nothing. Come on, what you nibbling on? Just a piece of slack lime. Found a big hunk. Why, that's just like eating dirt. I kind of feel like I want it. Ma was silent. She spread her knees and tightened her skirt. I know, she said at last. I ate cold once when I was in a family way. Ate a big piece of coal. Grandma says I shouldn't. Don't you say that about the baby. You ain't got no right even to think it. I got no husband. Got no milk. Ma said, If you was a well girl, I'd take a wang at you, right in the face. She got up and went inside the tent. She came out and stood in front of Riz of Sharon, and she held out her hand. Look. The small gold earrings were in her hand. These is for you. The girl's eyes brightened for a moment, and then she looked aside. I ain't pierced. Well, I'm gonna pierce you. Ma hurried back into the tent. She came back with a cardboard box. Hurriedly, she threaded a needle and doubled the thread and tied a series of knots in it. She threaded a second needle and knotted the thread. In the box, she found a piece of cork. It'll hurt. Ma stepped to her and put the cork in the back of her earlobe and pushed the needle through her ear and into the cork. The girl twitched. It sticks. It'll hurt. No, more than that. Yes, it will. Well then, let's see the other ear first. She placed the cork and pierced the other ear. It'll hurt. Hush, said Ma. It's all done. Rose of Sharon looked at her in wonder. Ma clipped the needles off and pulled one knot of each thread through the lobes. Now, she said, every day we'll pull one knot, and in a couple weeks it'll be all well and you can wear them. Here, they're yarn now. You can keep them. Rose of Sharon touched her ears tenderly and looked at the tiny spots of blood on her fingers. It didn't hurt, just stuck a little. You ought to be pierced long ago, said Ma. She looked at the girl's face, and she smiled in triumph. Now, get them dishes all done up. Your baby's gonna be a good baby. Very nearly you had a baby without having your ears pierced. But you're safe now. Does it mean something? Why, course it does, said Ma. Course it does. Al strolled down the streets towards the dancing platform. Outside a neat little tent, he whistled softly, and then moved along the street. He walked to the edge of the grounds and sat down in the grass. The clouds over the west had lost the red edging now, and the cores were black. Al scratched his legs and looked towards the evening sky. In a few moments, a blonde girl walked near. She was pretty and sharp-featured. She sat down in the grass beside him and did not speak. Al put his hand on her waist and walked his fingers around. Don't, she said. You tickle. We're going away tomorrow, said Al. She looked up at him, startled. Tomorrow? Where? Up north, he said lightly. Well, we're going to get married, ain't we? Sure. Sometime. You said pretty soon, she cried angrily. Well, soon is when soon comes. You promised. He walked his fingers around further. Get away, she cried. You said we was. Well, sure we are. And now you're going away. 
I'll demand it. What's the matter with you? You in a family way? No, I ain't. I'll laugh. I just been wasting my time, huh? Her chin shot out. She jumped to her feet. You get away from me, Al Joe. I don't want to see you no more. Oh, come on. What's the matter? You think you're just hell on wheels? Now wait a minute. You think I got to go out with you? Well, I don't. I got lots of chances. Now wait a minute. No, sir. You get away. I lunged suddenly, caught her by the ankle, and tripped her. He grabbed her when she fell and held her and put his hand over her angry mouth. She tried to bite his palm, but he cupped it out over her mouth, and he held her down with his other arm. And in a moment she lay still, and in another moment they were giggling together in the dry grass. "Well, we'll be a coming back pretty soon," said Al, "and I'll have a pocket full of Jack, and we'll go down to Hollywood and see the pictures." She was lying on her back. Al bent over her. And he saw the bright evening star reflected in her eyes, and he saw the black cloud reflected in her eyes. We'll go on the train, he said. How long do you think you'll be? She asked. Oh, maybe a month, he said. The evening dark came down, and Pa and Uncle John squatted with the heads of the families out by the office. They studied the night and the future. The little manager, in his white clothes, frayed and clean, dusted his elbows on the porch rail. His face was drawn and tired. Huston looked up at him. "You better get some sleep, Mister." "I guess I'll." "Baby born last night in Unit Three. I'm beginning to be a good midwife." "Fellow ought to know," said Huston. "Married fellow got to know." Pa said, "We're getting out in the morning." "Yeah." Which way you going? Thought we'd go up north a little, try to get in the first cotton. We ain't had work. We're out of food. Know if there's any work? Huston asked. No, but we sure there ain't none here. There will be a little later, Huston said. We'll hold on. I hate to go, said Pa. Folks been so nice and the toilets and all, but we gotta eat. Gotta take a gas. That'll get us a little piece up the road. We had a bath every day here. Never was so clean in my life. Funny thing, used to only get a bath every week, and I never seemed to stink. But now, if I don't get one every day, I stink. Wonder if taking baths so often makes that. Maybe you couldn't smell yourself before, the manager said. Maybe. I wish we could stay. The manager held his temples between his palms. I think there's going to be another baby tonight, he said. We're going to have one in our family for long, said Pa. Wish we could have it here. Sure, wish we could. Tom and Willie and Yule, the half-breed, sat on the edge of the dance floor and swung their feet. I got a sack of Durham, Jule said. Like a smoke. I sure would, said Tom. I had a smoke for a hell of a time. He rolled the brown cigarette carefully to keep down the loss of tobacco. Well, sir, we'll be sorry to see you go," said Willie. "You folks is good folks." Tom lighted his cigarettes. "I've been thinking about it a lot. Jesus Christ, I wish we could settle down." 
Jule took back his Durham. It ain't nice, he said. I got a little girl. Thought when I come out here she'd get some schooling. But hell, we ain't been in one place hardly long enough. Just gets going and we got to drag on. I hope we don't get in no more Hoovervilles, said Tom. I was really scared there. Deputies pushed you around? Nah, I was scared I'd kill somebody, said Tom. Was only there a little while, but I was stewing round the whole time. Deputy come in and picked up a friend, just because he talked out of turn. I was just stewing all the time. Ever been in a strike? Willie asked. No. Well, I've been thinking a lot. Why don't them deputies get in here and raise hell like air place? Think that little guy in the office is stopping them? No, sir. Well, what is? Jule asked. I tell you, it's because we're all a-working together. Deputy can't pick on one feller in this camp. He's picking on the whole darn camp. And he don't care. All we gotta do is give a yell and there's 200 men out. Fella organizing for a union was talking out on the road. He says we could do that any place. Just stick together. They ain't raising hell with no 200 men. They're picking on one man. Yeah, said Jewel. And suppose you got a union. You got to have leaders. They'll just pick up your leaders. And where's your union? Well, said Willie, we gotta figure her out sometime. But I've been out here a year and wages have gone right on down. Fella can't feed his family on his work now. It's getting worse all the time. I ain't gonna do no good, said Ryan, and starve. I don't know what to do. If a fella owns a team of horses, he don't raise no hell if he gotta feed them when they don't workin'. But if a fella got men working for him, he just don't give a damn. Horses is a hell of a lot more worth than men. I don't understand it. Get so I don't want to think about it, said Jewel. And I got to think about it. I got this little girl. You know how pretty she is. One week they give her a prize in this camp because she's so pretty. Well, what's going to happen to her? She's getting spindly, and I can't stand it. She's so pretty. I'm going to bust out. How? Willie asked. What are you going to do? Steal some stuff and get in jail? Kill somebody and get hung? I don't know, said Jewel. Gets me nuts thinking about it. Gets me clear nuts. I'm going to miss them dances, Tom said. Them was some of the nicest dances I ever seen. Well, I'm going to turn in. So long. I'll be seeing you someplace. He shook hands. Sure will, said Jewel. Well, so long. Tom moved away into the darkness. In the darkness of the Jode tent, Ruthie and Winfeld lay on their mattress, and Ma lay beside them. Ruthie whispered, Ma? Yeah? You ain't asleep yet? Ma? They gonna have croquet where we're going? I don't know. Get some sleep. We want to get an early start. Well, I wish we'd stay here, where we got some croquet. Shh, said Ma. Ma, Winfield here kid tonight. He shouldn't have. I know, I told him. But he hit a kid right in the nose. Jesus, how the blood run down. Don't talk like that. It ain't a nice way to talk. Winfield turned over. That kid says we were Okies, he said in an outraged voice. He says he wasn't no Okie because he comes from Oregon. 
says we was goddamn Okies. I socked him. Shh. You shouldn't. He can't hurt you calling names. Well, I won't let him, Winfeld said fiercely. Shh. Get some sleep. Ruthie said, You ought to see the blood run down all over his clothes. Ma reached her hand from under the blanket and snapped Ruthie on the cheek with her finger. The little girl went rigid for a moment and then dissolved into sniffling, quiet crying. In the sanitary unit, Pa and Uncle John sat in adjoining compartments. Might as well get one last good one, said Pa. It's sure nice. Remember how the little fellows were so scared when they flushed them the first time? I wasn't so easy myself, said Uncle John. He pulled his overalls neatly around his knees. I'm getting bad, he said. I feel sin. You can't sin none, said Pa. You ain't got no money. Just sit tight. Cost you at least two bucks to sin, and we ain't got two bucks among us. Yeah, but I'm thinking sin. All right, you can think sin for nothing. It's just as bad, said Uncle John. It's a hell of a lot cheaper, said Pa. Don't you go making light of sin. I ain't. You just go ahead. You always get sinful just when hell's a-poppin'. I know it, said Uncle John. Always was that way. Never told half the stuff I done. Well, keep it to yourself. These here nice toilets guess me sinful. Go out in the bushes, then. Come on, pull your pants up. Let's get some sleep. Pa pulled his overall straps in place and snapped the buckle. He flushed the toilet and watched thoughtfully while the water whirled in the bowl. It was still dark when Mal roused her camp. The low night lights shone through the open doors of the sanitary units. From the tents along the road came the assorted snores of the campers. Ma said, Come on, roll out. We gotta be on our way. Day's not far off. She raised the screechy shade of the lantern and lighted the wick. Come on, all of you. The floor of the tent squirmed into slow action. Blankets and comforts were thrown back and sleepy eyes squinted blindly at the light. Ma slipped on her dress over the underclothes she wore to bed. We got no coffee, she said. I got a few biscuits. We can eat them on the road. Just get up now and we'll load the truck. Come on now. Don't make no noise. I don't want to wake the neighbours. It was a few moments before they were all fully roused. Now don't you get away, Ma warned the children. The family dressed. The men pulled down the tarpaulin and loaded the truck. Make it nice and flat, Ma warned them. They piled the mattress on top of the load and bound the tarpaulin in place over its ridge pole. All right, Ma, said Tom. She's ready. Ma held a plate of cold biscuits in her hand. All right, here. Each take one. It's all we got. Ruthie and Winfeld grabbed their biscuits and climbed up on the load. They covered themselves with a blanket and went to sleep, still holding the cold, hard biscuits in their hands. Tom got into the driver's seat and stepped on the starter. It buzzed a little, then stopped. God damn you, Al! Tom cried. You let the battery run down. Al bolstered. How the hell was I going to keep her up if I ain't got gas to run her? Tom chuckled suddenly. Well, I don't know how, but it's your fault. You gotta crank her. I tell you it ain't my fault. Tom got out and found the crank under the seat. It's my fault, he said. Give me that crank. Al seized it. Pull down the spark so you don't take my arm off. 
Okay. Twist your tail. Al laboured at the crank, around and around. The engine caught, spluttered, and roared as Tom choked the car delicately. He raised the spark and reduced the throttle. Mark climbed in beside him. We woke up everybody in the camp, she said. They'll go to sleep again. Al climbed in on the other side. Pa-Knuckle John got up on top, he said. Going to sleep again. Tom drove towards the main gate. The watchman came out of the office and played his flashlight on the truck. Wait a minute. What do you want? You checking out? Sure. Well, I gotta cross you off. Okay. Know which way you were going? Well, we're gonna try up north. Well, good luck, said the watchman. Same to you. So long. The truck edged slowly over the big hump into the road. Tom retraced the road he had driven before, past the weed patch and west until he came to 99, then north on the great paved road towards Bakersfield. It was growing light when he came into the outskirts of the city. Tom said, Every place you look is restaurants, and then places all got coffee. Look at that all nighter there. Bet they got ten gallons of coffee in there. All hot. Oh, shut up, said Al. Tom grinned over at him. Well, I see you got yourself a girl right off. What was that? Well, what of it? He's mean this morning, Ma. He ain't good company. Al said irritably. I'm going out of my own pretty soon. Fella can make his way a lot easier if he ain't got a family. Tom said, You'd have yourself a family in nine months. I seen you playing round. You're crazy, said Al. I get myself a job in a garage and I eat in restaurants. And you'd have a wife and a kid in nine months. I tell you I wouldn't. Tom said, You're a wise guy, Al. You gotta take some beating over the head. Who's gonna do it? There'll always be guys to do it, said Tom. Now you just stop that. Ma broke in. I, I done it, said Tom. I was a badger in him. I didn't mean no harm, Al. I didn't know you liked that girl so much. I don't like no girls much. All right, then, you don't. You ain't gonna get no argument out of me. The truck came to the edge of the city. Look at them hot dogs staying. A hundred of them, said Tom. Ma said, Tom, I got a dollar put away. You want a coffee bad enough to spend it? No, Ma, I'm just fooling. You can have it if you want it bad enough. I wouldn't take it. Al said, then shut up about coffee. Tom was silent for a time. Seems like I got my foot in it all the time, he said. There's the road we run up that night. I hope we don't never have nothing like that again, said Ma. It was a bad night. I didn't like it none either. The sun rose on their right and the great shadow of the truck ran beside them, flickering over the fence post beside the road. They ran on past the rebuilt Hooverville. Look, said Tom, they got new people there. Looks like the same place. Al came slowly out of his sullenness. Fella told me some of them people been burnt out fifteen, twenty times. Says they just go hide down the willows, and they come out and build them another weed shack. Just like gophers. Got so used to it, they don't get mad no more, this fella says. They just figure it's like bad weather. Sure was like bad weather for me that night, said Tom. They moved up the highway, and the sun's warmth made them shiver. Getting snappy in the morning, said Tom. Winter's on the way, 
I just hope we can make some money for it comes. Tent ain't gonna be nice in the winter. Ma sighed, and then straightened her head. Tom, she said, we're gonna have a house in the winter, I tell you. I tell you, we got to. Ruthie's all right, but Winfield ain't strong. We got to have a house when the rains come. I heard it rains cats round here. We'll get a house, Ma. You rest easy. You're gonna have a house. Just so it's got a roof and a floor. Just to keep the little fellows off the ground. We'll try, Ma. I don't want to worry you now. We'll try, Ma. I just get panicky sometimes, she said. I just lose my spunk. I never seen you when you lost it. Nice I do, sometimes. There came a harsh hissing from the front of the truck. Tom grabbed the wheel tight, and he thrust the brake down to the floor. The truck bumped to a stop. Tom sighed. Well, there she is. He leaned back in the seat. Al leapt out and ran to the right front tyre. Great big nail, he called. We got any tyre patch? No, said Al. Used it all up. Got patch, but no glue stuff. Tom turned and smiled sadly at Ma. You shouldn't have told about that dollar, he said. We'd have fixed her some way. He got out of the car and went to the flat tyre. Al pointed to a big nail protruding from the flat casing. There she is. If there's one nail in the country, we run over it. Is it bad? Ma called. No, not bad, but we gotta fix her. The family piled down from atop the truck. Puncture? Pa asked, and then he saw the tyre, and was silent. Tom moved Ma from the front seat, and got the can of tyre patch from underneath the cushion. He unrolled the rubber patch, and took out the tube of cement, squeezed it gently. It's almost dry, he said. Maybe there's enough. All right, Al, block the back wheels. Let's get her jacked up. Tom and Al worked well together. They put stones behind the wheels, put the jack under the front axle, lifted the weight off the limp casing. They ripped off the casing, found the hole, dipped a rag in the gas tank, and washed the tube around the hole. And then, while Al held the tube tight over his knee, Tom tore the cement tube in two and spread the little fluid thinly on the rubber with his pocket knife. He scraped the gum delicately. Now let her dry while I cut a patch. He trimmed and beveled the edge of the blue patch. Al held the tube tight while Tom put the patch tenderly in place. There. Now bring her to the running board while I tap her with a hammer. He pounded the patch carefully, and then scratched the tube and watched the edges of the patch. There she is. She's gonna hold. Stick her on the rim, and we'll pump her up. Looks like you get to keep your butt, Ma. Al said, I wish we had a spare. We gotta get us a spare, Tom. On a rim and all, pumped up. Then we can fix a puncher at night. When we got money for a spare tire, we'll get us some coffee and some side meat instead, Tom said. The light morning traffic buzzed by on the highway, and the sun grew warm and bright. A wind... Gentle and sighing, blue puffs from the southwest, and the mountains on both sides of the great valley were indistinct in a pearly mist. Tom was pumping at the tyre when a roadster coming from the north stopped on the side of the road. A brown-faced man, dressed in a light grey business suit, got out and walked across to the truck. He was bareheaded. He smiled 
and his teeth were very white against his brown skin. He wore a massive gold wedding ring on the third finger of his left hand. A little gold football hung on a slender chain across his vest. Morning, he said pleasantly. Tom stopped pumping and looked up. Morning. The man ran his fingers through his coarse, short, graying hair. You people looking for work? Uh, we sure are, mister. Looking even under boards. Can you pick peaches? We never done it, Pa said. We can do anything, Tom said hurriedly. We can pick anything there is. The man fingered his gold football. Well, there's plenty of work for you about 40 miles north. We'd sure admire to get it, said Tom. Tell us how to get there, and we'll go lapping. Well, you go north to Pixley, and that's 35 or 6 miles, and you turn east. Go about 6 miles. Ask anybody where Hooper Ranch is, and you'll find plenty of work there. We sure will. Know where there's other people looking for work? Sure, said Tom. Down at the Wade Patch, there's plenty of people looking for work. I'll take a run down there. We can use quite a few. Remember now, turn east at Pixley, and keep straight east to the Hooper Ranch. Sure, said Tom. And we thank you, mister. Need work awful bad. All right. Get along as soon as you can. He walked back across the road, climbed in his open roadster, and drove away south. Tom threw his weight on the pump. Twenty apiece, he called. One, two, three, four. At twenty, Al took the pump, and then Pa, and then Uncle John. The tyre fulled out and grew plump and smooth. Three times round, the pump went. Let her down and let's see, said Tom. Al released the jack and lowered the car. Got plenty, he said. Maybe a little too much. They threw the tools in the car. Come on, let's go, Tom called. We're going to get some work at last. Ma got in the middle again. Al drove this time. Now, take her easy. Don't burn her up, Al. They drove on through the sunny morning fields. The mist lifted from the hilltops, and they were clear and brown with purple creases. The wild doves flew up from the fences as the truck passed. Al unconsciously increased his speed. Easy, Tom warned him. She'll blow up if you crowd her. We gotta get there. Might even get in some work today. Ma said excitedly, With four men a-working, maybe I can get some credit right off. First thing I'll get is coffee. You've been wanting that. And then some flour, and some bacon powder, and some meat. Better not get side meat straight off. Save that for later. Maybe Saturday. And soap. Gotta get soap. Wonder where we'll stay. She babbled on. And, and milk. I have to get some milk, cause Rosa Sean, she ought to have milk. The lady nurse says so. A snake wriggled across the warm highway. Al zipped over and ran it down, and came back on its own lane. Go for a snake, said Tom. You oughtn't have done that. I hate him, said Al gaily. Hate all kinds. Give me the stomach quake. The forenoon traffic on the highway increased. Salesmen in shiny coupés, with the insignia of their companies painted on the doors, red and white gasoline trucks dragging clinking chains behind them, great square-doored vans from wholesale grocery houses delivering produce. The country was rich along the roadside. There were orchards, heavy-leaved in their prime, and vineyards with long green crawlers carpeting the ground between rows. 
there were melon patches and grain fields. White houses stood in the greenery, roses growing over them, and the sun was gold and warm. In the front seat of the truck, Ma and Tom and Al were overcome with happiness. I ain't really felt so good for a long time, Ma said. If we pick plenty of peaches, we might get a house, pay rent even for a couple of months. We got to have a house. Al said, I'm going to save up, and then I'm going into town and get me a job in a garage. Live in a room and eat in restaurants. Go to the moving pictures every damn night. Don't cost much. Cowboy pictures. His hands tightened on the wheel. The radiator bubbled and hissed steam. Do you fill her up? Tom asked. Yeah. Wind's kind of behind us. That's what makes a boil. It's an awful nice day, Tom said. Used to work there in McAllister and think all the things I'd do. I'd go in a straight line way to hell and gone and never stopped nowheres. Seems like a long time. Seems like it's years ago I was in. There was a guard, made it tough. I was going to lay for him. Guess that's what makes me mad at cops. Seems Air Cop got his face. He used to get red in the face, looked like a pig. He had a brother out west, they said. He used to get fellas paroled to his brother, and then they'd have to work for nothing. If they raised a stink, they'd get sent back for breaking parole. That's what the feller said. Don't think about it, Ma begged him. I'm going to lay in a lot of stuff to eat. A lot of flour and lard. Might as well think about it, said Tom. Try to shut it out, and it'll wang back at me. There was a screwball. Never told you about him. Looked like happy hooligan. Homeless kind of fella. Always was going to make a break. Fellas all called him hooligan. Tom laughed to himself. Go on, said Al. Tell us about the fella. It don't hurt nothing, Ma, Tom said. This fella was always going to break out. Make a plan, he would. But he couldn't keep it to himself, and pretty soon everybody knowed it, even the warden. He'd make his break, and they'd take him in by the hand, let him back. Well, one time, he drawed a plan where he was going over, because he showed it around, and everybody kept still. And he hit out, and everybody kept still. So he's got himself a rope somewhere, and he goes over the wall. They six guards outside with a big sack, <laughs> and Hooligan comes quiet down the rope, and they just hold the sack out, and he comes right in. They tie up the mouth and take him back inside. <laughs> Fellas laughed so hard they liked to die. But it, it busted Hooligan's spirit. He just cried and cried and moped around and got sick. Hurt his feelings so bad. Cut his wrist with a pin and bled to death because his feelings was hurt. No harm in him at all. These all kind of scruples and stir. Don't talk about it, Ma said. I know pretty boy Floyd's Ma. He wasn't just a boy. He just got drove in a corner. The sun moved up towards noon, and the shadow of the truck grew lean and moved under the wheels. Must be Pixie up the road, Al said. Seen a sign a little back. They drove into the little town and turned eastward on a narrower road, and the orchards lined the way and made an aisle. Hope we can find her easy, Tom said. Ma said, that fellow said Hooper Ranch. Said anybody tell us. Hope there's a store nearby. Might get some credit with four men working. I'd get a real nice supper if they'd give me some credit. Make up a big stew, maybe. And coffee, said Tom. Might even get me a second durham.
I ain't had no tobacco my own in a long time. Far ahead, the road was blocked with cars, and a line of white motorcycles was drawn up along the roadside. Must be a wreck, Tom said. As they drew near, a state policeman in boots and a Sam Brown belt stepped around the last parked car. He held up his hand, and Al pulled to a stop. The policeman leaned confidently on the side of the car. Where are you going? Al said, Fella said there was work picking peaches up this way. You want to work, do you? Damn right, said Tom. Okay, wait here a minute. He moved to the side of the road and called ahead. One more, that's six cars already. Better take this batch through. Tom called. Hey, what's the matter? The patrolman lounged back. Got a little trouble up ahead. Don't you worry, you'll get through. Just follow the line. There came the splattering blast of motorcycles starting. The line of cars moved on, with the Jode truck last. Two motorcycles led the way, and two followed. Tom said uneasily, I wonder what's the matter. Maybe the road's out, Al suggested. Don't need four cop cars to lead us. I don't like it. The motorcycles ahead speeded up. The line of old cars speeded up. Al hurried to keep in back of the last car. These here is our own people, all of them, said Tom. I don't like this. Suddenly, the leading policeman turned off the road into a wide gravelled entrance. The old cars whipped after them. The motorcycles roared their motors. Tom saw a line of men standing in the ditch beside the road, saw their mouths open as though they were yelling, saw their shaking fists and their furious faces. A stout woman ran towards the cars, but a roaring motorcycle stood in her way. A high wire gate swung open. The six old cars moved through the gate and closed behind them. The four motorcycles turned and sped back in the direction from which they had come. And now that the motors were gone, the distant yelling of the men in the ditch could be heard. Two men stood beside the gravelled road. Each one carried a shotgun. One called, Go on, go on, what the hell are you waiting for? The six cars moved ahead, turned a bend, and came suddenly on the peach camp. There were fifty little square flat-roofed boxes, each with a door and a window, and the whole group in a square. A water tank stood high on one edge of the camp, and a little grocery store stood on the other side. At the end of each row of square houses, two men stood, armed with shotguns, and wearing big silver stars pinned to their shirts. The six cars stopped. Two bookkeepers moved from car to car. Want work? Tom answered, sure, but what is this? That's not your affair. Want to work? Sure we do. Name? Jowd? How many men? Four? Women? Two? Kids? Two. Can all of you work? Why, I, I guess so. Okay, find house 63. Wages five cents a box. No bruised fruit. All right, move along now. Go to work right away. The cars moved on. On the door of each square red house, a number was painted. Sixty, Tom said. There's sixty. Must be down that way. There's sixty-one, sixty-two. There she is. 
Al parked the truck close to the door of the little house. The family came down from the top of the truck and looked about in bewilderment. Two deputies approached. They looked closely into each face. Name? Gerald, Tom said impatiently. Say, what is this here? One of the deputies took out a long list. Not here. Ever see these here? Look at the license. Nope. Ain't got it. Guess they're okay. Now, look here. We don't want any trouble with you. Just do your work, mind your own business, and you'll be all right. The two turned abruptly and walked away. At the end of the dusty street, they sat down on two boxes, and their position commanded the length of the street. Tom stared after them. They sure want to make us feel at home. Ma opened the door of the house and stepped inside. The floor was splashed with grease. In the one room stood a rusty tin stove and nothing more. The tin stove rested on the floor of bricks, and its rusty stovepipe went through the roof. The room smelt of sweat and grease. Rose of Sharon stood beside Ma. We're gonna live here? Ma was silent for a moment. Why, sure, she said at last. It ain't so bad once we wash it out, get her mopped. I like the tent better, the girl said. This got a floor, Ma suggested. This here wouldn't leak when it rains. She turned to the door. Might as well unload, she said. The men unloaded the truck silently. A fear had fallen on them. The great square of boxes was silent. A woman went by in the street, but she did not look at them. Her head was sunk, and her dirty gingham dress was frayed at the bottom in little flags. The pall had fallen on Ruthie and Winfeld. They did not dash away to inspect the place. They stayed close to the truck, close to the family. They looked forlornly up and down the dusty street. Winfeld found a piece of balling wire, and he bent it back and forth until it broke. He made a little crank of the shortest piece and turned it around and around in his hand. Tom and Pa were carrying the mattress into the house when a clerk appeared. He wore khaki trousers and a blue shirt and a black necktie. He wore silver-bound eyeglasses, and his eyes, through the thick lenses, were weak and red, and the pupils were staring little bullseyes. He leaned forward to look at Tom. I want to get you checked down, he said. How many are you going to work? Tom said, There's four men. Is this here hard work? Picking peaches, the clerk said. Peace work. Give five cents a box. Ain't no reason why the little fellows can't help? Sure not, if they're careful. Ma stood in the doorway. Soon as I get settled down, I'll come out and help. We got nothing to eat, mister. Do we get paid right off? Well... No, not money right off, but you can get a credit at the store for what you got coming. Come on, let's hurry, Tom said. I want to get some meat and bread and meat and that. Uh, where do we go, mister? I'm going there now. Come with me. Tom and Pa and Al and Uncle John walked with him down the dusty street and into the orchard among the peach trees. The narrow leaves were beginning to turn pale yellow. The peaches were little globes of gold and red on the branches. Among the trees were piles of empty boxes. The pickers scurried about, filling their buckets from the branches, putting the peaches in the boxes, carrying the boxes to the checking station, 
and at the stations, where the piles of filled boxes waited for the trucks, clerks waited to check against the name of the pickers. Uh, here's four more, the guide said to a clerk. Okay. Ever picked before? Never did, said Tom. Well, pick careful. No bruised fruit, no windfalls. Bruise your fruit, and we won't check them. There's some buckets. Tom picked up a three-gallon bucket and looked at it. Full of holes on the bottom. Sure, said the nearsighted clerk. That keeps people from stealing them. All right, down in that section, get going. The four Jodes took their buckets and went to the orchard. They don't waste no time, Tom said. Christ almighty, Al said. I'd rather work in a garage. Pa had followed docilely into the field. He turned suddenly on Al. Now you just quit it, he said. You've been a hankering and a complaining and a bullowing. You get to work. You ain't so big I can lick you yet. Al's face turned red with anger. He started to bolster. Tom moved near to him. Come on, Al, he said quietly. Bren, mate, we gotta get him. They reached for the fruit and dropped them into the buckets. Tom ran at his work. One bucket full. Two buckets. He dumped them in a box. Three buckets. The box was full. I just made a nickel, he called. He picked up the box and walked hurriedly to the station. Here's a nickel's worth, he said to the checker. The man looked into the box, turned over a peach or two. Put it over there. That's out, he said. I told you not to bruise him. Dumped him out of the bucket, didn't you? Well, every damn peach is bruised. Can't check that one. Put him in easy, or you're working for nothing. Like, God damn it. Now, go easy. I warned you before you started. Tom's eyes drooped suddenly. Okay, he said. Okay. He went quickly back to the others. Might as well don't what you got, he said. Yours is the same as mine. Won't take him. Well now, what the hell? Al began. Gotta pick easier. Can't drop him in the bucket. Gotta lay him in. They started again, and this time they handled the fruit gently. The boxes filled more slowly. We could figure something out, I bet, Tom said. If Ruthie and Winfield or Rosa Sean just put him in the bucket, we could work out a system. He carried his newest box over to the station. Is this here a nickel's worth? The checker looked them over, dug down several layers. That's better, he said. He checked the box in. Just take it easy. Tom hurried back. I got a nickel, he called. I got a nickel. I only got to do that there 20 times for a dollar. They worked on steadily through the afternoon. Ruthie and Winfeld found them after a while. You gotta work, Pa told them. You gotta put the peaches careful into the box. Here now, one at a time. The children squatted down and picked the peaches out of the bucket, and a line of buckets stood ready for them. Tom carried the full boxes to the station. At seven, he said. That's eight. Forty cents we got. Get a nice piece of meat for forty cents. The afternoon passed. Ruthie tried to go away. I'm tired, she whined. I gotta rest. You gotta stay right where you're at, said Pa. Uncle John picked slowly. He filled one bucket to two of Tom's. His pace didn't change. In mid-afternoon, Ma came trudging out. I would have come before, but Rosa Sean fainted, 
she said. Just fainted away. You've been eating peaches, she said to the children. Well, they'll blast you out. Ma's stubby body moved quickly. She abandoned her bucket quickly and picked into her apron. When the sun went down, they had picked twenty boxes. Tom set the twentieth box down. A book, he said. How long do we work? Work till dark, long as you can see. Well, can we get that credit now? Might ought to go in and buy some stuff to eat. Sure, I'll give you a slip for a dollar now. He wrote on a strip of paper and handed it to Tom. He took it to Ma. Here you are. You can get a dollar's worth of stuff at the store. Ma put down her bucket and straightened her shoulders. Get you the first time, don't it? Sure. Well, I'll get used to it right off. Roll on in. Get some food. Ma said, "Well, what do you like to eat?" Meat," said Tom. "Meat and bread and a big pot of coffee with sugar in it. Great big piece of meat." Ruthie wailed, "Ma, we're tired. Better come along in then." They was tired when they started," Pa said. "Wild as rabbits there again. Ain't gonna be no good at all unless we can pin 'em down." As soon as we get set down, they go to school," said Ma. She trudged away, and Ruthie and Winfield timidly followed her. "We gotta work every day," Winfield asked. Ma stopped and waited. She took his hand and walked along, holding it. "It ain't hard work," she said. "Be good for you, and you're helping us. If we all work, pretty soon we'll live in a nice house. We gotta help." But I got so tired. I know. I got tired too. Everybody gets wore out. Got to think about other stuff. Think about when you go to school. I don't want to go to no school. Ruthie don't neither. Them's kids that go to school. We seen 'em, Ma. Snots. Calls us Okies. We seen 'em. I ain't going. Ma looked pityingly down on his straw hat. Don't give us no trouble right now, she begged. As soon as we get on our feet, you can be bad, but not now. We got too much now. I ate six of them peaches, Ruthie said. Well, you'll have the skitters, and it ain't close to no toilet where you are. The company store was a large shed of corrugated iron. It had no display window. Ma opened the screen door and went in. A tiny man stood behind the counter. He was completely bald, and his head was blue white. Large brown eyebrows covered his face in such a high arc that his face seemed surprised and a little frightened. His nose was long and thin and curved like a bird's beak, and his nostrils were blocked with light brown hair. Over the sleeves of his blue shirt, he wore black sateen sleeve protectors. He was leaning on his elbows on the counter when Mar entered. Afternoon, she said. He inspected her with interest. The arch over his eyes became higher. Howdy. I got a slip here for a dollar. You can get a dollar's worth, he said, and he giggled shrilly. Yes, sir, a dollar's worth. Ah,、uh, one dollar's worth. He moved his hands at the stock. Any of it. He pulled his sleeve protectors up neatly. Thought I'd get a piece of meat. Got all kinds, he said. Hamburg, like to have some Hamburg. Twenty cents a pound Hamburg. Ain't that awful high? Seems to me hamburgers fifteen cents last time I got some. 
Well, <laughs> he giggled softly. Yes, it's high, and at the same time it ain't high. Time you go on into town for a couple pounds of Hamburg, it'll cost you about a gallon of gas. So you see it ain't really high here, because you got no gallon gas. Moss said sternly, it didn't cost you no gallon of gas to get out here. He laughed delightedly. You're looking at it bass awkward, he said. We ain't a buying it, we're selling it, and if we was a buying it, why it'd be different. Ma put two fingers to her mouth and frowned with thought. It looks awful of fat and gristle. I ain't guaranteeing she won't cook down, the storekeeper said. I ain't guaranteeing I'd eat her myself, but there's lots of stuff I wouldn't do. Ma looked up at him fiercely for a moment. She controlled her voice. Ain't you got some cheaper kind of meat? Soup bones, he said. Ten cents a pound. But them's just bones. Them's just bones, he said. Makes nice soup, just bones. Got any boiling beef? Oh, yeah, sure. That's two bits a pound. Maybe I can't get no meat, Ma said. But they want meat. They said they wanted meat. Everybody wants meat, needs meat. That hamburg's per nice stuff. Here's the grease that comes out of her for gravy. Per nice, no waste. Don't throw your bones away. How, how much is side meat? Well, now you're getting into fancy stuff. Christmas stuff, Thanksgiving stuff. Thirty-five cents a pound. I could sell you turkey cheaper, if I had turkey. Moss sighed. Give me two pounds of Hamburg. Yes, ma'am. He scooped the pale meat onto a piece of wax paper. And what else? Well, some bread? Right here, fine, big loaf, fifteen cents. That there's a twelve-cent loaf. Sure it is. Go right into town and get it for twelve cents, gallon of gas. What else can I say, you potatoes? Yeah, potatoes. Five pounds for a quarter. Ma moved menacingly towards him. I heard enough from you. I know what they cost in town. The little man clamped his mouth tight. Then go get him in town. Ma looked at her knuckles. What is this? she asked. You own this store? No, I just work here. Any reason you gotta make fun? That help you any? She regarded her shiny, wrinkled hands. The man was silent. Who owns this here store? Hooper Ranch Incorporated, ma'am. And they set the price? Yes, ma'am. She looked up, smiling a little. Everybody comes in, talks like me is mad? He hesitated for a moment. Yes, ma'am. And that's why you make the fun? What you mean? Doing dirty things like this. Shames you, don't it? Gotta act flip, huh? Her voice was gentle. The clerk watched her, fascinated. He didn't answer. That's how it is, Ma said finally. Forty cents for meat, fifteen for bread, quarter for potatoes. That's eighty cents. Coffee? Twenty cents is the cheapest, ma'am. And that's the dollar. Seven of us, working. And that's supper. She studied her hand. Wrap him up, she said quickly. Yes, ma'am, he said. Thanks. He put the potatoes in a bag and folded the top carefully down. His eyes slipped to Ma, and then he hid in his work again. She watched him and smiled a little. How'd you get a job like this?
she asked. A fella gotta eat, he began, and then belligerently, a fella got a rat to eat. What fella? Ma asked. He placed the four packages on the counter. Mate, he said. Potatoes, bread, coffee. One dollar even. She handed him a slip of paper and watched while he entered the name and the amount in a ledger. There, he said. Now we're all even. Ma picked up her bags. Say, she said. We got no sugar for the coffee. My boy Tom, he wants some sugar. Look, she said. They're working out there. You let me have some sugar, and I'll bring the slip in later. The little man looked away, took his eyes as far from Ma as he could. I, I can't do it, he said softly. That's the rule. I can't. I get in trouble. I get canned. But they're working out in the field now. They got more than dime coming. Give me ten cents of sugar. Tom, he wanted sugar for his coffee. Spoke about it. I can't do it, ma'am. That's the rule. No slip, no groceries. The manager, he talks about it all the time. Nope, I can't, I can't do it. Nope, I can't. They catch me. I always catch fellas. Always. I can't. For a dime? For anything, ma'am. He looked pleadingly at her. And then his face lost its fear. He took ten cents from his pocket and rang it in the cash register. There, he said with relief. He pulled a little bag from under the counter and whipped it open and scooped some sugar into it. Weighed the bag and added a little more sugar. There you are, he said. Now it's all right. You bring in your slip and I'll get my dime back. Ma studied him. Her hand went blindly out and put the little bag of sugar on the pile in her arm. Thanks to you, she said quietly. She started for the door, and when she reached it, she turned around. I'm learning one good thing, she said. Learn it all the time, every day. If you're in trouble, or hurt, or need, go to poor people. They's the only ones that help. The only ones. The screen door slammed behind her. The little man leaned his elbows on the counter and looked after her with his surprised eyes. A plump tortoise-shell cat leaped up on the counter and stalked lazily near to him. It rubbed sideways against his arms, and he reached out with his hand and pulled it against his cheek. The cat purred loudly, and the tip of its tail jerked back and forth. Tom and Al and Pa and Uncle John walked in from the orchard when the dusk was deep. Their feet were a little heavy against the road. You wouldn't think just reaching up and pick and get you in the back, Pa said. Be all right in a couple days, said Tom. Say, Pa, after we eat, I'm going to walk out and see what all the fuss is outside the gate. It's been working on me. Want to come? No, said Pa. I'd like to have a little time just to work and not think about nothing. Seems like I've just been beating my brains to death for a hell of a long time. No, I'm going to sit a while, and then go to bed. How about you, Al? I looked away. Guess I'll look around in here first, he said. Well, I know Uncle John won't come. Guess I'll guard her alone. Got me curious. Pa said, I'll get a hell of a lot curiouser before I'll do anything about it with all them cops out there. Maybe they ain't there at night, Tom suggested. Well, I ain't going to find out 
and you better not tell Ma where you're going. She just squirt her head off, worrying. Tom turned to Al. Ain't you curious? Guess I'll just look around this here camp, Al said. Looking for girls, huh? Minding my own business, Al said acidly. I'm still going, said Tom. They emerged from the orchard into the dusty street between the red shacks. The low light of kerosene lanterns shone from some of the doorways, and inside, in the half-gloom, the black shapes of people moved about. At the end of the street, a guard sat still, his shotgun resting against his knee. Tom paused as he passed the guard. Got a place where a fella can get a bath, mister? The guard studied him in the half-light. At last he said, See that water tank? Yeah. Well, there's a hose over there. Any warm water? Say, who in the hell do you think you are? J.P. Morgan? No, said Tom. No, sure don't. Good night, mister. The guard grunted contemptuously. Hot water, for Christ's sake. Be one in tubs next. He stared glumly after the four jotes. A second guard came around the end house. Smatter, Mac. What? Them goddamn Okies. Is there warm water here, he says. The second guard rested his gun butt on the ground. It's them government camps, he said. Bet that fellow's been in a government camp. We ain't gonna have no peace till we wipe them camps out. And we want in clean sheets, first thing we know. Mac asked, How is it out the main gate? Hear anything? Well, they was out there yelling all day. State police got it in hand. They're running the hell out of them smart guys. I heard there's a long, lean son of a bitch spark plug in the thing. Fella says they'll get him tonight, and then she'll go to pieces. We won't have no job if it comes too easy, Mac said. We'll have a job, all right. These goddamn Okies. You gotta watch him all the time. Things get a little quiet. We can always stir him up a little. Have trouble when they cut the rate here, I guess. We sure will. No need you worrying about us having work. Not while Hooper's snubbing close. The fire roared in the Jode house. Hamburger patties splashed and hissed in the grease, and the potatoes bubbled. The house was full of smoke, and the yellow lantern light threw heavy black shadows on the walls. Ma worked quickly about the fire, while Rose of Sharon sat on a box resting her heavy abdomen on her knees. Feeling better now? Ma asked. Smell of cooking gets me. I'm hungry too. Go sit in the door, Ma said. I gotta have that box to break up anyways. The men trooped in. Meat by God, said Tom. And coffee, I smell... Jesus, I'm hungry. I had a lot of peaches, but that didn't do no good. Where can we wash, Ma? Go down to the water tank. Wash down there. I just sent Ruthie and Winfield to wash. The men went out again. Go on now, Rosa Shaw, Ma ordered. Either you sit in the door or else on the bed. I gotta break up that box. The girl helped herself up with her hands. She moved heavily to one of the mattresses and sat down on it. Ruthie and Winfield came in quickly, trying by silence and by keeping close to the wall to remain obscure. Ma looked over at them. I got a feeling you fellas is lucky they ain't much light, she said. She pounced at Winfield and felt his hair. Well, you got wet anyway, but I bet you ain't clean. 
There was no soap, Winfield complained. No, that's right. I couldn't buy no soap. Not today. Maybe we can get some tomorrow. She went back to the stove, laid out the plates, and began to serve the supper. Two patties apiece and a big potato. She placed three slices of bread on each plate. When the meat was all out of the frying pan, she poured a little of the grease on each plate. The men came in again, their faces dripping and their hair shining with water. Leave me at her, Tom cried. They took the plates. They ate silently, wolfishly, and wiped up the grease with the bread. The children retired into the corner of their room, put their plates on the floor, and knelt in front of the food like little animals. Tom swallowed the last of his bread. Got any more, Ma? No, she said. That's all. You made a dollar, and that's a dollar's worth. That? They charge extra out here. We gotta go into town when we can. I ain't full, said Tom. Well, tomorrow, you get in a full day. Tomorrow night, we'll have plenty. Al wiped his mouth on his sleeve. Guess I'll take a look around, he said. Wait, I'll go with you. Tom followed him outside. In the darkness, Tom went close to his brother. Sure you don't want to come with me? No, I'm going to look around, like I said. Okay, said Tom. He turned away and strolled down the street. The smoke from the houses hung low to the ground, and the lanterns threw their pictures of the doorways and windows into the street. On the doorstep, people sat and looked out into the darkness. Tom could see their heads turn as their eyes followed him down the street. At the street end, the dirt road continued across a stubble field, and the black lumps of haycock were visible in the starlight. A thin blade of moon was lowed in the sky towards the west, and the long cloud of the Milky Way trailed clearly overhead. Tom's feet sounded softly on the dusty road, a dark patch against the yellow stubble. He put his hands in his pockets and trudged along towards the main gate. An embankment came close to the road. Tom could hear the whisper of water against the grass in the irrigation ditch. He climbed up to the bank and looked down on the dark water and saw the stretched reflections of the stars. The state road was ahead. Car lights swooping past showed where it was. Tom set out again toward it. He could see the high wire gate in the starlight. A figure stirred beside the road. A voice said, Hello, who is it? Tom stopped and stood still. Here are you. A man stood up and walked near. Tom could see the gun in his hand, and then a flashlight played on his face. Where do you think you're going? Well, I thought I'd take a walk. Any law against it? You better walk some other way. Tom asked, Can't I even get out of here? Not tonight, you can't. Want to walk back, or should I whistle some help and take you? Hell, said Tom, ain't nothing to me. If it's gonna cause a mess, I don't give a darn. Sure, I'll go back. The dark figure relaxed. The flash went off. You see, it's for your own good. Them crazy pickets might get you. What pickets? Them goddamn reds. Oh, said Tom. I didn't know about them. You seen them when you come in, didn't you? Well, I seen a bunch of guys, but there were so many cops I didn't know. Thought it was an accident. Well, you better get along back. 
That's okay with me, mister. He swung about and started back. He walked quietly along the road, a hundred yards, and then he stopped and listened. The twittering call of a raccoon sounded near the irrigation ditch, and very far away the angry howl of a tired dog. Tom sat down beside the road and listened. He heard the high soft laughter of a nighthawk, and the stealthy movement of a creeping animal in the stubble. He inspected the skyline in both directions, dark frames both ways, nothing to show against. Now he stood up and walked slowly to the right of the road, off in the stubble field, and he walked bent down, nearly as low as the haycocks. He moved slowly and stopped occasionally to listen. At last he came to the wire fence, five strands of taut barbed wire. Beside the fence, he lay on his back and moved his head under the lowest strand, held up the wire with his hands and slid himself under, pushing against the ground with his feet. He was about to get up when a group of men walked by on the edge of the highway. Tom waited until they were far ahead before he stood up and followed them. He watched the side of the road for tents. A few automobiles went by. A stream cut across the fields, and the highway crossed it on a small concrete bridge. Tom looked over the side of the bridge. In the bottom of a deep ravine, he saw a tent, and a lantern was burning inside. He watched it for a moment, saw the shadows of the people against the canvas walls. Tom climbed a fence and moved down into the ravine, through a bush and dwarf willows, and in the bottom, beside the tiny stream, he found a trail. A man sat on a box in front of a tent. Evening, Tom said. Who are you? Well, I, I guess, well, I'm just gone past. Know anybody here? No, I, I, no, I tell you I was just gone past. A head stuck out of the tent. A voice said, What's the matter? Casey, Tom cried. Casey, for Christ's sakes, what are you doing here? Well, my God, it's Tom Joe. Come in, Tommy, come in. Know him, do you? The man in front asked. Know him? Christ, yes. Known him for years. I come west with him. Come on in, Tom. He clutched Tom's elbow and pulled him into the tent. The three other men sat on the ground, and in the centre of the tent, a lantern burned. The men looked up suspiciously. A dark-faced, scowling man held out his hand. Glad to meet you, he said. I heard what Casey said. This the fellow you was telling about? Sure, this is him. Well, for God's sakes, where's your folks? What, what are you doing here? Well, said Tom, we heard there was work this way, and we come up, and a bunch of state cops run us in this here ranch. We've been picking peaches all afternoon. I seen a bunch of fellas yelling. They wouldn't tell me nothing, so I come out here to see what's going on. How the hell did you get here, Casey? The preacher leaned forward, and the yellow lantern light fell on his high, pale forehead. Jailhouse kind of funny place, he said. Here's me, a-going in the wilderness like Jesus trying to find out something. Almost got her sometimes, too. But it's in the jailhouse, I really got her. His eyes were sharp and merry. Great big old cell, and she's full all the time. And you guys come in, and guys go out. And, of course, I talked to all of them. Of course you did, said Tom. I always talk. 
If you was up on the gallows, you'd be passing time of day with the hangman. Never seen such a talker. The man in the tent chuckled. A wizened little man with a wrinkled face slapped his knee. Talks all the time, he said. Folks kind of like to hear him, though. Used to be a preacher, said Tom. They tell you that? Sure, he told. Casey grinned. Well, sir, he went on, I begin getting at things. Some of them fellas in the tank was drunks, but mostly they was there because they stole stuff, and mostly it was stuff they needed and couldn't get no other way. You see? he asked. No, said Tom. Well, they was nice fellas, you see. What made them bad was they needed stuff. And I began to see then. And it's need that makes all the trouble. I ain't got it worked out. Well, one day, they gave us some beans that was sour. One fella started yelling and nothing happened. He yelled his head off. Trustee come along and looked in and went on. Then another fella yelled. Well, sir, then we was all yelling. And we all got on the same tone. And I tell you, it seemed like that tank bulged and give and swelled up, by God. Then something happened. They come a-running, and they give us some other stuff to eat. Give it to us, you see? You see? No, said Tom. Casey put his chin down on his hands. Maybe I can't tell you, he said. Maybe you gotta find out. Where's your cap? I come out without it. How's your sister? Hell, she's big as a cow. Bet she got twins. Gonna need wheels under her stomach. Got to holding it with her hands now. You ain't told me what's going on. The wizened man said. We struck. He's here to strike. Well, five cents a box ain't much, but a fella can eat. Five cents, the wizard man cried. Five cents? They paying you five cents? Sure, we made buck and a half. A heavy silence fell in the tent. Casey stared out the entrance into the dark night. Lucky, Tom, he said at last. We come to work there. They says it's going to be five cents. They was a hell of a lot of us. We got there and they says they're paying two and a half cents. A fella can't even eat on that. And if you got kids. So, we say we won't take it. So they drove us off. And all the cops in the world come down on us. Now they're paying you five. When they bust this here strike, you think they'll pay five? I don't know, Tom said. Paying five now. Lucky, said Casey. We tried to camp together, and they drove us like pigs. Scattered us. Beat the hell out of fellas. Drove us like pigs. They run you in like pigs too. We can't last much longer. Some people ain't at for two days. You going back tonight? Ain't to, said Tom. Well, tell the folks in there how it is, Tom. Tell them they're starving and stabbing themselves in the back. Because sure as cow flops, she'll drop two and a half just as soon as they curse out. I'll tell them, said Tom. I don't know how. I never seen so many guys with guns. Don't know if they'll let a fella talk. And folks don't pass no time of day. They just hang down their heads and won't even give a fella a howdy. Try and tell them, Tom. They get two and a half just the minute we're gone. You know what two and a half is? That's one ton of peaches picked and carried for a dollar. He dropped his head. No, you can't do it. You can't get your food for that. Can't eat for that. I'll try to tell the folks. 
How's your ma? Pretty good. She liked that government camp. Baths and hot water. Yeah, I heard. It was pretty nice in there. Couldn't find no work, though. Had to leave. I like to go to one, said Casey. Like to say it. Fella says there ain't no cops. Folks is their own cops. Casey looked up excitedly. And was there any trouble fighting, stealing, drinking? No, said Tom. Well, if a fella went bad, what then? What'd they do? Put him out of the camp. But there wasn't many. Hell no, said Tom. We was there a month and only one. Casey's eyes shone with excitement. He turned to the other men. You see, he cried, I told you. Cops cause more trouble than they stop. Look, Tom. Try and get the folks in there to come on out. They can do it in a couple days. Then Peaches is ripe. Tell them. They won't, said Tom. They're getting five, and they don't give a damn about nothing else. But just the minute there ain't strike breaking, they won't get no five. I don't think they'll swallow that. Five they're getting. That's all they care about. Well, tell them anyways. Pa wouldn't do it, Tom said. I know him. He'd say it was none of his business. Yes, Casey said disconsolately. I guess that's right. Have to take a beating for all now. We was out of food, Tom said. Tonight we had meat. Not much, but we had it. Think Pa's gonna give up his meat on account of other fellas? Rosa Shaw and ought to get milk. Think Ma's gonna want to starve that baby just because a bunch of fellas is yelling outside a gate? Casey said sadly, I wish they could see it. Wish they could see the only way they can depend on their mate. Oh, the hell. Get tired sometimes. God awful tired. I know the fella. Bring him in while I was in the jailhouse. Been trying to start a union. Got one started. And then the vigilantes busted up. Know what? Them very folks he's been trying to help tossed him out. Wouldn't have nothing to do with him. Scared they get saw in by his company. Says, get out, you're a danger on us. Well, sir, it hurt feeling pretty bad. But then he says, it ain't so bad if you know. He says, French Revolution. All them fellas that figured her out got their heads chopped off. Anyways, always that way, he says. Just as natural as rain. Didn't do it for no fun. Doing it because you have to. Because it's you. Look at Washington, he says. Fit the revolution, and after, them sons of bitches turned on him. And Lincoln the same. Same folks, yelling to kill him. Natural as rain. It don't sound like no fun, said Tom. No, it don't. This feller in jail, he says. Anyways, you do what you can. And he says, the only thing that you got to look at is that every time there's a little step forward, she may slip back a little, but she never slips clear back. You can prove that, he says. And that makes the whole thing right. And that means there wasn't no waste, even if it seemed like there was. Talking, said Tom. Always talking. Take my brother Al. He's looking for a girl. He don't care about nothing else. Couple days, he'll get him a girl. Think about it all day and do it all night. I don't give a damn about steps up, down, or sideways. Sure, said Casey, sure. He's just doing what he gotta do. 
all of us like that. The man seated outside pulled the tent flaps wide. God damn it, I don't like it, he said. Casey looked out at him. What's the matter? I don't know, I just itch all over. Nervous as a cat. Well, what's the matter? I don't know, seems like I hear something. Then I listen and there's nothing to hear. You're just jumpy, the wizened man said. He got up and went outside. And in a moment, he looked back into the tent. There's a great big old black cloud sailing over. Bet she's got thunder. That's what's itching him. Electricity. He ducked out again. The other two men stood up from the ground and went outside. Casey said softly, All of them's itchy. Them cops been saying how they're going to beat the hell out of us and run us out of country. They figure I'm a leader because I talk so much. The wizened face looked in again. Casey, turn out that lantern. Come outside. I something. Casey turned to the screw. The flame drew down into the slots and popped and went out. Casey groped outside and Tom followed him. What's it like? Casey asked softly. I don't know. Listen. There was a wall of frog sounds that merged with the silence. A high, shrill whistle of crickets. But through this background came other sounds. Faint footsteps on the road. A crunch of clods up on the bank. A little swish of brush down the stream. Can't really tell if you hear it. Fools you. Get nervous. Casey reassured them. We're all nervous. Can't really tell. You hear it, Tom? I hear it, said Tom. Yeah, I hear it. I think there's guys coming over from every which way. Better get out of here. Under the bridge span, out that way. Hate to leave my tent. Let's go, said Casey. They moved quietly along the edge of the stream. The black span was a cave before them. Casey bent over and moved through, Tom behind. Their feet slipped into the water. Thirty feet they moved, and their breathing echoed from the curved ceiling. When they came out the other side and straightened up. A sharp call. There they are! Two flashlight beams fell on the men. Caught them. Blinded them. Stand where you are! The voices came out of the darkness. That's him! That shiny bastard! Get him! That's him! Casey stared blindingly at the light. He breathed heavily. Listen, he said. You fellas don't know what you're doing. You're helping to starve kids. Shut up, you red son of a bitch. A short, heavy man stepped into the light. He carried a new white pick handle. Casey went on. You don't know what you're doing. The heavy man swung the pick handle. Casey dodged down into the swing. The heavy club crashed into the side of his head with a dull crunch of bone, and Casey fell sideways out of the light. Jesus, George, I think you killed him. Put a light on him, said George. Served the son of a bitch right. The flashlight beam dropped, searched, and found Casey's crushed head. Tom looked down at the preacher. The light crossed the heavy man's legs and the white new pick handle. Tom leaped silently. He wrenched the club free. The first time, he knew he had missed and struck a shoulder. The second time, his crushing blow found the head. And as the heavy man sank down, three more blows found his head. The lights danced about. There were shouts. 
the sound of running feet crashing through the brush. Tom stood over the prostrate man, and then a club reached his head, a glancing blow. He felt the stroke like an electric shock, and then he was running along the stream, bending low. He heard the splash of footsteps following him. Suddenly, he turned and squirmed up into the brush, deep into a poison oak thicket, and he lay still. The footsteps came near. The light beams glanced along the stream bottom. Tom wriggled up through the thicket to the top. He emerged in an orchard, and still he could hear the calls of the pursuit in the stream bottom. He bent low and ran over the cultivated earth. The clods slipped and rolled under his feet. Ahead, he saw the bushes that bounded the field, bushes along the edge of an irrigation ditch. He slipped through the fence, edged in among the vines and blackberry bushes, and he lay still, panting hoarsely. He felt his numb face and nose. The nose was crushed, and a trickle of blood dripped from his chin. He lay still on his stomach until his mind came back. He bathed his face in the cool water, tore off the tail of his blue shirt, dipped it in, and held it against his torn cheek and nose. The water stung and burned. The black cloud had crossed to the sky, a blob of dark against the stars. The night was quiet again. Tom stepped into the water and felt the bottom drop under his feet. He threshed the two strokes across the ditch and pulled himself heavily up the other bank. His clothes clung to him. He moved and made a slopping noise. His shoes squished. And then he sat down, took off his shoes, and emptied them. He wrung the bottoms of his trousers, took off his coat, and squeezed the water from it. Along the highway, he saw the dancing beams of the flashlights searching in the ditches. Tom put on his shoes and moved cautiously across the stubble field. The squishing noise no longer came from his shoes. He went by instinct towards the other side of the stubble field, and at last he came to the road. Very cautiously, he approached the square of houses. Once a guard, thinking he had heard a noise, called, "Who's there?" Tom dropped and froze to the ground, and the flashlight beam passed over him. He crept silently to the door of the Joad house. The door squalled on its hinges, and Mar's voice, calm and steady and wide awake. Who's that? Me, Tom. Well, you better get some sleep. Al ain't here yet. He must have found a girl. Go on asleep, she said softly, over under the window. He found his place, and took off his clothes to the skin. He lay shivering under his blanket, and his torn face awakened from its numbness, and his whole head throbbed. It was an hour more before Al came in. He moved cautiously near and stepped on Tom's wet clothes. "Shh," said Tom. Al whispered, "You wake? How do you get wet?" "Shh," said Tom. "Tay in the morning." Pa turned on his back, and his snoring filled the room with gasps and snorts. "You're cold," Al said. "Shh, go to sleep." The little square of the window showed grey against the black of the room. Tom did not sleep. The nerves of his wounded face came back to life and throbbed, and his cheekbone ached, and his broken nose 
bulged and pulsed with pain that seemed to toss him about, to shake him. He watched the little square window and saw the stars slide down over it and drop from sight. At intervals, he heard the footsteps of the watchman. At last, the roosters crowed. Far away, and gradually, the window lightened. Tom touched his swollen face with his fingertips, and at his movement, Al groaned and murmured in his sleep. The dawn came finally. In the houses, packed together, there was a sound of movement, a crash of breaking sticks, a little clatter of pans. In the grey gloom, Ma sat up, suddenly. Tom could see her face, swollen with sleep. She looked at the window for a long moment, and then she threw the blanket off and found her dress. Still sitting down, she put it over her head and held her arms up and let the dress slide down to her waist. She stood up and pulled the dress down around her ankles. Then, in bare feet, she stepped carefully to the window and looked out. And while she stared at the growing light, her quick fingers unbraided her hair and smoothed the strands and braided them up again. Then she clasped her hands in front of her and stood motionless for a moment. Her face was lighted sharply by the window. She turned stepped carefully among the mattresses and found the lantern. The shade screeched up and she lighted the wick. Pa rolled over and blinked at her. She said, Pa, you got more money? Huh? Yeah, a paper rope for sixty cents. Well, get up and go buy some flour and lard. Quick now. Pa yawned. Maybe the store ain't open yet. Make him open it. You gotta get something in, you fellas. You gotta get out and work. Pa struggled into his overalls and put on his rusty coat. He went sluggishly out the door, yawning and stretching. The children awakened and watched from under their blanket like mice. Pale light filled the room now, but colourless light before the sun. Ma glanced at the mattress. Uncle John was awake. Al slept heavily. Her eyes moved to Tom. For a moment, she peered at him, and then she moved quickly to him. His face was puffed and blue, and the blood was dried black on his lip and chin. The edges of the torn cheek were gathered and tight. Tom, she whispered, what's the matter? Shh, he said. Don't talk, Leia. Got him fat. Tom! I couldn't help it, Ma. She knelt down beside him. You in trouble? He was a long time in answering. Yeah, he said. In trouble. I, I can't go out to work. Gotta hide. The children crawled near on their hands and knees, staring greedily. What's the matter with him, Ma? Hush, said Ma. Go wash up. We got no soap. Well, use water. What's matter, Tom? Now you hush. Don't tell nobody. They backed away and squatted down against the far wall, knowing they would not be inspected. Ma asked, Is it bad? Nose bursted. I mean, the trouble. Yeah, bad. 
Al opened his eyes and looked at Tom. Well, for Christ's sake, what was you in? What's the matter? Uncle John asked. Pa clumped in. They was open, all right. He put a tiny bag of flour and his package of lard on the floor beside the stove. Smatter, he asked. Tom braced himself on one elbow for a moment, and then he lay back. Jesus, I'm weak. I'm going to tell you once, so I'll tell all you. How about the kids? Ma looked at them huddled against the wall. Go wash your face. No, Tom said. They gotta hear. They gotta know. Might blab if they don't know. What the hell is this? Pa demanded. I'm gonna tell. Last night, I went out to see what all the yelling was about, and I come on Casey. The preacher? Yeah, Pa. The preacher. Only, he was a leading strike. They come for him. Pa demanded, who come for him? I don't know. Same guys that turned us back on the road that night. They pick handles. He paused. They killed him. Bust his head. I was standing there. I went nuts, grabbed the pick handle. He looked bleakly back at the night. The darkness, the flashlights as he spoke. I, I, I clubbed him. Ma's breath caught in her throat. Pa stiffened. Kill him? He asked softly. I dunno. I was nuts. Tried to. Ma asked, Was you saw? I dunno. I guess so. It had lights on her. For a moment, Ma stared into his eyes. Pa, she said. Break up some boxes. We gotta get breakfast. You gotta go to work. Ruthie, Winfield, if anyone asked you, Tom is sick, you hear? If you tell, he'll get sent to jail, you hear? Yes, ma'am. Keep your eye on him, John. Don't let him talk to nobody. She built the fire as Pa broke the boxes that had held the goods. She made her dough, put a pot of coffee to boil. The light wood caught and roared its flame in the chimney. Pa finished breaking the boxes. He came near to Tom. Casey, he was a good man. What do you want to mess with that stuff for? Tom said dully, they can't work five cents a box. That's what we were getting. Yeah, what we was doing was breaking strike. They give them fellas two and a half cents. You can't eat on that. I know, Tom said wearily. That's why they struck. Well, I think they burst that strike last night. Well, maybe be getting two and a half cents today. Why the sons of bitches? Yeah, Pa. You see? Casey was still a good man. God damn it, I can't get that pitch out of my head. Him laying there. Head just crushed flat and oozing. Jeez. He covered his eyes with his hand. Well, what we gonna do? Uncle John asked. Al was standing up now. Well, by God, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of it. No, you ain't, Al, Tom said. We need you now. I'm the one. I'm in danger now. As soon as I get on my feet, I gotta go. 
Mal worked at the stove. Her head was half turned to here. She put the grease in the frying pan, and when it whispered with heat, she spooned the dough into it. Tom went on. You got to stay, Al. You got to take care of the truck. Well, I don't like it. I can't help it, Al. It's your folks. You can help them. I'm a danger to them. Al grumbled angrily. I don't know why I ain't let to get a job in a garage. Maybe later, maybe. Tom looked past him, and he saw Rose of Sharon lying on the mattress. Her eyes were huge, opened wide. Don't worry, he called to her. Don't you worry. Gonna get you some milk today. She blinked slowly and didn't answer him. Pa said, We gotta know, Tom. Think you killed that fella? I, I don't know. It was dark, and somebody smacked me. I don't know. I hope so. I hope I killed that bastard. Tom, Ma called. Don't talk like that. From the street came the sound of many cars moving slowly. Pa stepped up to the window and looked out. There's a whole slew of new people coming in, he said. I guess they bust the strike, all right, said Tom. I guess you'll start at two and a half cents. But a fella could work at a run and he still couldn't eat. I know, said Tom. Eat windfall peaches. They'll keep you up. Ma turned to the dough and stirred the coffee. Listen to me, she said. I'm getting cornmeal today. We're going to eat cornmeal mush. As soon as we get enough for gas, we're moving away. This ain't a good place. And I ain't going to have Tom out alone. No, sir. You can't do that, Ma. I tell you, I'm just a danger to you. Her chin was set. That's what we'll do. Here, come eat this, and then we'll get out to work. I'll come out as soon as you get washed up. We've got to make some money. They ate the fried dough, so hot that it sizzled in their mouths. And they tossed the coffee down and filled their cups and drank more coffee. Uncle John shook his head over his plate. Don't look like we're going to get shit out of here. Bet it's my sin. Oh, shut up! Pa cried. We ain't got time for your sin now. Come on now. Let's get out of here. Kids, you come help. Ma's right. Gotta go out of here. When they were gone, Ma took a plate and a cup to Tom. Betty, eat a little something. I can't, Ma. I'm so darn sore I couldn't chew. Better try. No, I can't, Ma. She sat down on the edge of his mattress. You gotta tell me, she said. I got to figure how it was. I gotta keep straight. What was Casey doing? Why'd they kill him? He was just standing there, with lights on him. What'd he say? Can you remember what he says? Tom said, sure. Casey said, you got no right to starve people. And then this heavy fella called him a red son of bitch. Casey said, you don't know what you're doing. And this guy smashed him. Ma looked down, and she twisted her hands together. That's what he said? You don't know what you're doing? Yeah. Ma said, I wish Grandma could have heard. Ma, 
I didn't know what I was doing. No more when you take a breath. I didn't know I was going to do it. It's all right. I wish you didn't do it. I wish you wasn't there. But you done what you had to do. I can't read no thought on you. She went to the stove and dipped a cloth in the heating dishwater. Here, she said. Put that there on your face. He laid the warm cloth over his nose and cheek and winced at the heat. Ma, I'm going to go away tonight. I can't go putting this on you folks. Ma said angrily, Tom, there's a whole lot I don't understand. But going away ain't going to ease us. It's going to bear us down. And she went on. There was a time when we was on the land. There was a boundary to us then. Old folks died off, and little fellas come. And we was always one thing. We was the family. Kind of whole and clear. And now we ain't clear no more. I can't get straight. There ain't nothing keeps us clear. Al, he's a hankering and, and a gibbering off to go on his own. Uncle John's just a dragging along. Pa's lost his place. He ain't in the head no more. Cracking up, Tom. There ain't no family now. And Rosa Shaw? She looked around and found the girl's wide eyes. She's gonna have her baby, and there won't be no family. I don't know. I've been trying to keep her going. Winfield, what's he gonna be this way? Getting wild. Ruthie, too, like animal. Got nothing to trust. Don't go, Tom. Stay in hell. Okay, he said tiredly. Okay, I shouldn't, though. I know it. Ma went to her dishpan and washed the tin plates and dried them. You didn't sleep. No. Well, you sleep. I seen your clothes was wet. I'll hang them by the stove to dry. She finished her work. I'm gone now. I'll pick. Rosa Sean, if anyone comes, Tom's sick, you hear? Don't let nobody in, you hear? Rosa Sharon nodded. We'll come back at noon. Get some sleep, Tom. Maybe we can get out of here tonight. She moved swiftly to him. Tom, you ain't gonna slip out? No, Ma. You sure? You won't go? No, Ma. I'll be here. All right. Remember, Rosa Sean. She went out and closed the door firmly behind her. Tom lay still, and then a wave of sleep lifted him to the edge of unconsciousness and dropped him slowly back and lifted him again. You, Tom. Huh? Yeah? He started awake. He looked over at Rose of Sharon. Her eyes were blazing with resentment. What you want? You killed a fella. Yeah, not so loud. Want to rouse somebody? What I care, she cried. That lady told me. She says, what's sin going to do? She told me what chance I got to have a nice baby. Connie's gone and ain't getting good food, ain't getting milk. Her voice rose hysterically. And now? You kill a fella? What chance a baby got to be born right? I know, gonna be freak, a freak. I never done no dancing. Tom got up. Shh, he said. You're gonna get folks in here. I don't care. I have a freak. I didn't dance no hug dance. He went to her. Be quiet. 
You get away from me. It ain't the first fellow you killed, neither. Her face was growing red with hysteria. Her words blurred. I want to look at you. She covered her head with a blanket. Tom heard the choked, smothered cries. He bit his lower lip and studied the floor. And then he went to Pa's bed. Under the edge of the mattress, the rifle lay. A lever action. Winchester. 38 millimeter, Long and heavy. Tom picked it up and dropped the lever to see a cartridge was in the chamber. He tested the hammer on half cock. And then he went back to his mattress. He laid the rifle on the floor beside him, stock up and barrel pointing down. Rose of Sharon's voice thinned to a whimper. Tom lay down again and covered himself, covered his bruised cheek with the blanket and made a little tunnel to breathe through. He sighed. Jesus, oh Jesus. Outside, a group of cars went by and voices sounded. How many men? Just us three. What are you paying? You go to house 25. Number's right on the door. Okay, mister. What are you paying? Two and a half cents. Why, God damn it! man can't make his dinner. That's what we're paying. There's 200 men coming south that'll be glad to get it. But, Jesus, mister. Go on now. Either take it or go along. Got no time to argue. But, look, I didn't set the price. I'm just checking you in. If you want it, take it. If you don't, turn right around and go along. 25, you say? Yeah, 25. Tom dozed on his mattress. A stealthy sound in the room awakened him. His hand crept to the rifle and tightened on the grip. He drew back the covers from his face. Rose of Sharon was standing beside his mattress. What you want? Tom demanded. You sleep, she said. You just sleep off. I'll wash the door. They won't nobody get in. He studied her face for a moment. Okay, he said and he covered his face with the blankets again. In the beginning dusk, Mark came back to the house. She paused on the doorstep, and knocked and said, It's me, so that Tom would not be worried. She opened the door, and entered, carrying a bag. Tom awakened, and sat up on his mattress. His wound had dried, and tightened so that the unbroken skin was shiny. His left eye was drawn nearly shut. Anybody come while I was gone? Ma asked. No, he said. Nobody. I see they dropped the price. How'd you know? I heard folks talking outside. Rose of Sharon looked dully up at Ma. Tom pointed at her with his thumb. She raised a hell, Ma. Thinks all the trouble is aimed right smack at her. If I'm going to get her upset like that, I ought to go along. Ma turned on Rose of Sharon. What you doing? The girl said resentfully, How am I going to have a nice baby with stuff like this? Ma said, Hush, you hush now. I know how you're feeling, and I know you can't help it, but just keep your mouth shut. She turned back to Tom. Don't pay her no mind, Tom. It's awful hard. I remember how it is. Everything's shooting right at you when you're going to have a baby, and everything anybody says is an insult and everything against you. Don't pay no mind. She can't help it. It's just the way she feels. 
I don't want to hurt her. Hush, just don't talk. She set her back down on the cold stove. Didn't make hardly nothing, she said. I told you, we're going to get out of here. Tom, try and wrestle me some wood. No, you can't. Here, we got only this one box left. Break it up. I told the other fellas to pick up some sticks on the way back. Gonna have mush and little sugar on. Tom got up and stamped the last box to small pieces. Ma carefully built her fire in one end of the stove, conserving the flame under one stove hole. She filled a kettle with water and put it over the flame. The kettle rattled over the direct fire, rattled and wheezed. How was picking today? Tom asked. Ma dipped a cup into her bag of cornmeal. I don't want to talk about it. I was thinking today how there used to be jokes. I don't like it, Tom. We don't joke no more. When they's a joke, it's a mean bitter joke. There ain't no fun in it. Fella says today, depression is over. I seen a jackrabbit, and wasn't nobody after him. Another fella says, that ain't the reason. Can't afford to kill jackrabbits no more. Catch em, milk em, turn em loose. One you seen probably gone dry. That's how I mean. It ain't really funny. Not funny like that time Uncle John converted an engine, bring him home, that engine, ate his way clean to the bottom of a bean bin, and then backslid with Uncle John's whiskey. Tom, put a rag of cold water on your face. The dusk deepened. Ma lighted the lantern and hung it on a nail. She fed the fire and poured cornmeal gradually into the hot water. Rosa Sean, she said. Can you stir the mesh? Outside, there was a patter of running feet. The door burst open and banged against the wall. Ruthie rushed in. Ma, she cried. Ma, Winfield got fit. Where? Tell me. Ruthie panted. Got white and fell down. And it's so many peaches he scared herself all day. Just fell down, white. Take me, Ma demanded. Rosa Sean, you watch that mush. She went outside with Ruthie. She ran heavily up the street behind the little girl. Three men walked toward her in the dusk, and the centre man carried Winfeld in his arms. Ma ran up to them. He's mine, she cried. Give him to me. I'll carry him for you, ma'am. No, here, give him to me. She hoisted the little boy and turned back, and then she remembered herself. Ah, sure, thank you, she said to the men. Welcome, ma'am. The little boy's pretty weak. Looks like he got worms. Ma hurried back, and Winfeld was limp and relaxed in her arms. Ma carried him into the house and knelt down and laid him on a mattress. Tell me, what's the matter? she demanded. He opened his eyes dizzily and shook his head and closed his eyes again. Ruthie said, I told you, Ma. He scared her all day. Every little while, ate too many peaches. Ma felt his head. He ain't favoured, but he's white, drawed out. Tom came near and held the lantern. I know, he said. He hungered. Got no strength. Get him a can of milk and make him drink it. Make him take milk on his mush. Winfell, Ma said. Tell how you feel. Dizzy, said Winfield. Just worrying dizzy. You never seen such skitters said Ruthie importantly. Pa and Uncle John and Al came into the house. Their arms were full of sticks and bits of brush. 
They dropped their loads by the stove. Now what? Pa demanded. It's Winfield. He needs milk. Cross almighty. We all need stuff. Ma said, how much we make today? Dollar forty-two. Well, you go over and get a can of milk for Winfield. Now why do you have to get sick? I don't know why, but he is. Now you get. Pa went, grumbling to the door. You stirring that mash? Yeah, said Rose of Sharon. Rose of Sharon speeded up the stirring to prove it. Al complained. God almighty, Ma, is mush all we get after work until dark? Al, you know we gotta get. Take all we got for gas, you know. But God almighty, Ma, a fella needs meat if you're gonna work. Just you set quiet, she said. We gotta take the biggest things out and whip it first. And you know what that thing is? Tom asked. Is it about me? We'll talk when we've it, said Ma. Al, we got enough gas to go aways, ain't we? About quarter a tank, said Al. I wish you'd tell me, Tom said. Affer, just wait. Keep a-stirring that mush, ye. Here, let me put on some coffee. You can have sugar on your mush or in your coffee. There ain't enough for both. Pa came back with one tall can of milk. Eleven cents, he said disgustedly. Here. Ma took the can and stabbed it open. She let the thick stream out into a cup and handed it to Tom. Give that to Winfield. Tom knelt beside the mattress. Here, drink this. I can't. I sick all up. Leave me be. Tom stood up. He can't take it now, Ma. Wait a little. Ma took the cup and set it down on the window ledge. Don't none of you touch that, she warned. That's for Winfield. I ain't had no milk, Rose of Sean said sullenly. I ought to have some. I know, but you're still on your feet. This here little fella's down. That mush good and thick? Yeah, can't hardly stir no more. All right, let's eat. Now, here's the sugar. There's about one spoon each. Have it on your mush or in your coffee. Tom said, I kind of like salt and pepper on mush. Salt or if you like, Ma said. The pepper's out. The boxes were all gone. The family sat on the mattress to eat their mush. They served themselves again and again until the posh was nearly empty. Save some for Winfield, Ma said. Winfield sat up and drank his milk, and instantly he was ravenous. He put the mush pot between his legs and ate what was left and scraped at the crust on the sides. Ma poured the rest of the canned milk in a cup and sneaked it to Rose of Sharon to drink secretly in a corner. She poured the hot black coffee into the cup and passed them around. Now will you tell what's going on? Tom asked. I want to hear. Pa said uneasily, I wish Ruthie and Winfield didn't have to hear. Can't they go outside? Ma said, No, they gotta act growed up, even if they ain't. There's no help for it. Ruthie, you and Winfield ain't ever to say what you hear, else you'll just break us to pieces. We won't, Ruthie said. We're growed up. Well, just be quiet then. The cups of coffee were on the floor. The short, thick flame of the lantern, like a stubby butterfly wing, cast yellow gloom on the walls. Now tell, said Tom. Ma said, Pa, you tell. Uncle John slapped his coffee. Pa said, Well, 
They dropped the price, like you said. And there's a whole slew of new pickets so goddamn hungry they'd pick for a loaf of bread. Go for a peach, and somebody get it first. Gonna get the whole crop picked right off. Fellas run into a new tree. I've seen fights. One fella claims it's his tree. Another fella wants to pick off it. Bring these folks from far as El Centro. Hunger and hell. Work all day for a piece of bread. I says to the checker, we can't work for two and a half cents a box. And he says, go on then, quit. These fellas came. I says, soon they get fed up, they won't. And he says, hell, we'll have these here peaches in before they get fed up. Postalt. She was a devil, said Uncle John. They says there's two hundred more men coming tonight. Tom said, yeah, but how about the other? Pa was silent for a while. Tom, he said, looks like you done it. I kind of thought so. Couldn't see. Felt like it. Seems like people ain't talking about much else, said Uncle John. They got posses out, and these fellas taken up at lynching. Of course, when they catch the fella. Tom looked over at the wide-eyed children. They seldom blinked their eyes. It was as though they were afraid something might happen in the split second of darkness. Tom said, Well, this fella done it. He only done it after they killed Casey. Pa interrupted. That ain't the way they're telling it now. They're saying he done it first. Tom's breath sighed out. Ah. They're working up a feeling against us folks. That's what I heard. All them drum corpse fellas and lodges and that. Say, they're going to get this here fella. They know what he looks like? Tom asked. Well, not exactly, but the way I heard it, they think he got hit. They think he'll have... Tom put up his hand slowly and touched his bruised cheek. Ma cried, it ain't so what they say. Easy, Ma, Tom said. They got it cold. Anything them drum corpse fellas is right if it's against us. Ma peered through the ill light, and she watched Tom's face, and particularly his lips. You promised, she said. Ma, I... Maybe this fella ought to go away. If this fella done something wrong, maybe he'd think, Okay, let's get the hanging over. I done wrong, and I gotta take it. But this fella didn't do nothing wrong. He don't feel no worse if he killed a skunk. Ruthie broke in. Ma, me and Winfield knows. He don't have to go this fella in for us. Tom chuckled. Well, this fella don't want no hanging, cause he'd do it again. And same time, he don't aim to bring no trouble on his folks. Ma, I gotta go. Ma covered her mouth with her fingers and coughed to clear her throat. You can't, she said. There wouldn't be no way to hide out. You couldn't trust nobody. You can trust us. We can hide you, and we can see you get to eat while your face gets well. But, Ma, she got to her feet. You ain't going. We're taking you. Al, you back the truck up against the door. Now I got it figured out. We'll put one mattress on the bottom, and then Tom gets there, and we'll take the other mattress, and sort of fold it so it makes a cave, and... He's in the cave. And then we'll wall it in. 
He can breathe at the end, you see. Don't argue, that's what we'll do. Pa complained. Seems like the man ain't got no say no more. She's just a heller. Come time we get settled down, I'm gonna smack her. Come that time, you can, said Ma. Rest up, Al. It's dark enough. Al went outside to the truck. He studied the matter and backed up near the steps. Ma said, Quick now, get that mattress in. Pa and Uncle John flung it over the end gate. Now that one. They tossed the second mattress up. Now, Tom, you jump in there and get under. Hurry up. Tom climbed in quickly and dropped. He straightened one mattress and pulled the second on top of him. Pa bent it upwards, stood it side up so that the arch covered Tom. He could see out between the sideboards of the truck. Pa and Al and Uncle John loaded quickly, piled the blankets on top of Tom's cave, stood the buckets against the sides, spread the last mattress behind him. Pots and pans, extra clothes, went in loose, for their boxes had been burned. They were nearly finished loading when a guard moved near, carrying his shotgun across his crooked arm. What's going on here? he asked. We're going out, said Pa. What for? Well, we got a job offered. Good job. Yeah, where's it at? Why, down by Weed Patch. Let's have a look at you. He turned a flashlight in Pa's face, an Uncle John's, and an Al's. Wasn't there another fellow with you? Al said, You mean that hitchhiker? Little short fellow with pale face? Yeah, I guess that's what he looked like. We just picked him up on the way. He went away this morning when the rate dropped. What did he look like again? Short fella, pale face. Was he bruised up this morning? I didn't see nothing, said Al. Is the gas pump open? Yeah, till eight. Get in, Al cried. If we're going to get the weed patch for morning, we got to ram on. Getting in front, Ma? No, I'll get in the back, she said. Pa, you setting back here too. Let Rosa Sean set in the front with Al and Uncle John. Give me the work slip, Pa, said Al. I'll get gas and change if I can. The guard watched them pull along the street and turn left to the gasoline pumps. Put in two, said Al. You ain't going far? No, not far. Can I get change for this here work slip? Well, I ain't supposed to. Look, mister, said Al. We got a good job offered if we get there or not. If we don't, we miss out. Be a good fella. Well, okay. You sign her over to me. Al got out and walked around the nose of the Hudson. Sure I will, he said. He unscrewed the water cap and filled the radiator. Two, you say? Yeah, two. Which way you going? South. We got a job. Yeah? Jobs are scarce. Regular job? We got a friend, Al said. Jobs all waiting for us. Well, so long. The truck swung around and bumped over the dirt street into the road. The feeble headlight jiggled over the way, and the right headlight blinked on and off from a bad connection. At every jilt, the loose pots and pans in the truck bed jangled and crashed. Rose of Sharon moaned softly. Feel bad? Uncle John asked. Yeah, feel bad all the time. Wished I could sit still in nice place. Wish we was home and 
never come. Connie wouldn't have went away if we was home. He would have studied up and got some place. Neither Al nor Uncle John answered her. They were embarrassed about Connie. At the white-painted gate to the ranch, a guard came up to the side of the truck. Going out for good? Yeah, said Al. Going north. Got a job. The guard turned his flashlight on the truck, turned it up into the tent. Ma and Pa looked stonily down into the glare. Okay. The guard swung the gate open. The truck turned left and moved towards the 101, the great north-south highway. Know where we're going? Uncle John asked. No, said Al. Just going and getting goddamn sick of it. I ain't so terrible far from my time, Rose of Sharon said threateningly. They better be a nice place for me. The night air was cold with the first sing of frost. Beside the road, the leaves were beginning to drop from the fruit trees. On the load, Ma sat with her back against the truck sides, and Pa sat opposite, facing her. Ma called, Y'all right, Tal? Cat a Titan here. We all through the ranch? You be careful, said Ma. Might get stopped. Tom lifted up one side of his cave. In the dimness of the truck, the pots jangled. I can pull her down quick, he said. Sides, I don't like getting trapped in here. He rested up on his elbow. By God, she's getting cold, ain't she? There's clouds up, said Pa. Fellas say it's going to be an early winter. Squirrels are building high or grass seeds? Tom asked. By God, you can tell weather from anything. I bet you could find a fella could tell weather from an old pair of drawers. I don't know, Pa said. Seems like it's getting on winter for me. Fella have to live here a long time to know. Which way we you going? Tom asked. I don't know. Al, he turned off left. Seems like he's going back the way we come. I can't figure what's best. Seems like if we get on the main highway, there'll be more cops. My face this way, they pick me right up. Maybe we ought to keep the back roads. Ma said, hammer on the back. Get out of stop. Tom pounded on the front board with his fist. The truck pulled to a stop on the side of the road. I got out and walked to the back. Ruthie and Winfeld peeked out from under their blanket. What you want? Al demanded. Ma said, We gotta figure what to do. Maybe we better keep on the back roads. Tom says so. It's my face, Tom added. Anybody'd know. Any cop know me. Well, which way you want to go? I figured north. We've been south. Yeah, said Tom, but keep on the back roads. I lost. How about pulling off and catching some sleep? Going on tomorrow. Ma said quickly, Not yet. Get some distance first. Okay. Al got back in his seat and drove on. Ruthie and Winfeld covered up their heads again. Ma called, Is Winfeld all right? Sure, he's all right, Ruthie said. He been sleeping. Ma leaned back against the side of the truck. Gives you a funny feeling to be hunted like. I'm getting mean. Everybody's getting mean, said Pa. Everybody, you seen that fight today? Full of changes. Damn that government camp we wasn't mean. Al turned right on a gravelled road, and the yellow lights shuddered over the ground. The fruit trees were gone now, and the cotton plants took their place. 
They drove on for twenty miles through the cotton, turning and angling on the country roads. The road paralleled a bushy creek and turned over a concrete bridge and followed the stream on the other side. And then, on the edge of the creek, the lights showed a line of red boxcars, wheelless, and a big sign on the edge of the road said, Cotton Pickers, Wanted. Al slowed down. Tom peered between the sidebars of the truck. A quarter of a mile past the boxcars, Tom hammered on the car again. Al stopped beside the road and got out again. Now what you want? Shut off the engine and climb up here, Tom said. Al got into the seat and drove into the ditch, cut the lights and engine. He climbed over the tailgate. All right, he said. Tom crawled over the pots and knelt in front of Ma. Look, he said. It says they want cotton pickers. I seen that sign. Now, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to stay with you and not make trouble. When my face gets well, it'll be all right, but not now. You see them cars back there? Well, the pickers live in them. Now, maybe there's work there. How about you get work there and live in one of them cars? How about you? Ma demanded. Well, you see that crick full of brush? Well, I could hide in that brush and keep out of sight. And at night, you could bring me out something to eat. I seen a culvert a little ways back. Maybe I could sleep in there. Pa said, By God, I'd like to get my hands on some cotton. These work I understand. Them cars might be a pretty place to stay, said Ma. Nice and dry. You think there's enough brush to hide in, Tom? Sure, I've been watching. I could fix up a little place, hide away. Soon my face gets well, why I'd come out. You're going to scar pretty bad, said Ma. Hell, everybody got scars. I picked 400 pounds once, said Pa. Of course, it was a good heavy crop. If we all pick, we could get some money. Could we get some meat, said Al. What do we do right now? Go back there and sleep in the truck till morning, Pa said. Get work in the morning. I can see them bowls even in the dark. How about Tom? Ma asked. Now, you just forget me, Ma. I'll take me a blanket. You look out on the way back. There's a nice covet. You can bring some bread or potatoes or mush and just leave it there. I'll come get it. Well, seems like good sense to me, said Pa. It's good sense, Tom insisted. Soon as my face gets a little better, while well, I come out and go to picking. Well, all right, Ma agreed. But don't you take no chance. Don't let nobody see you for a while. Tom crawled to the back of the truck. I'll just take this here blanket. You look for that culvert on the way back, Ma. Take care, she begged. You take care. Sure, said Tom. Sure I will. He climbed the tailboard, stepped down the bank. Good night, he said. Ma watched his figure blur with the night and disappear into the bushes beside the stream. Dear Jesus, I hope it's all right, she said. Al asked, You want I should go back now? Yeah, said Pa. Go slow, said Ma. I want to be sure and see that culvert he said about. I gotta see that. Al backed and filled the narrow road until he had reversed his direction. He drove slowly back to the line of boxcars. The truck lights showed the catwalks up to the wide car doors. The doors were dark, 
No one moved in the night. Al shut off his lights. You and Uncle John climb up back, he said to Rose of Sharon. I'll sleep in the seat here. Uncle John helped the heavy girl climb over the tailboard. Ma piled the pots into a small place. The family lay wedged close together in the back of the truck. A baby cried in long, jerking cackles in one of the boxcars. A dog trotted out, sniffing and snorting, and moved slowly around the Joe's truck. The tinkle of moving water came from the stream bed. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.